it is Super Bowl Sunday, which means you're going to watch a lot of football and you are going to watch even more commercials, right? Um, the commercials are always famous in the Super Bowl and there's always awards for which commercial is the best and they are fun, they are creative, um, they're just as entertaining to me as the football itself. There are a few commercials that are going to hit the Super Bowl that are making some news, literally making news. They come from a group, an anonymous group of donors, who decided to put $100 million of their money into marketing Jesus. Have you seen these campaigns, the He Gets Us campaigns? If you watch uh, sports, uh, particularly uh, football, you probably have seen these commercials marketing Jesus. And they're hitting your TV today during the Super Bowl. They are very expensive. Uh, they're making a little bit of noise out there, and uh, news media has picked up this story. And here's a quote from CNN. This is an article just yesterday. In between star-studded advertisements and a whole bunch of football, this year's Super Bowl watchers are being taken to church. He Gets Us is a campaign to promote Jesus and Christianity. It's running two ads during the game as a part of a staggering $100 million media investment. To many, the spots will be nothing new. The He Gets Us content has been peppering TV screens, billboards, and social media feeds since a national launch in 2022. The campaign is arresting, portraying the pivotal figure of Christianity, Jesus, as an immigrant, a refugee, a radical, an activist for women's rights, and a bulwark against racial injustice and political corruption. And here's how the article ends. Whatever you are facing, Jesus faced it too. Whatever you are facing, Jesus faced it too. There are maybe a couple of dozen of these ads. Several of them have hit uh, TV screens and athletic events. Two of them will hit today at the Super Bowl. And I want to show you one, and you'll just kind of get the flair if you haven't seen these before. Uh, here's one uh, good example. Let's take a look. A girl got pregnant. She was scared. Her parents thought her boyfriend was the father, but the baby wasn't his. He loved her. So he offered to raise the child with her. One evening, her water broke. There wasn't time to get help. He delivered the child and lay him in a manger. Pretty compelling, right? I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff, is that here's just a 15-second commercial marketing the empathy that Jesus has towards those who are single moms, towards those who might have been marginalized. And, and there are several of these to say to the world that he gets us. He gets us. Now, with any public um, campaign of any kind, there's going to be critics. And there are critics on both sides. There are those who are religiously and politically left who are saying, you know what, I have trouble with these commercials because they know some of the funding comes from more of the religious and political rights. Uh, the left also says, hey, if you're going to put $100 million into marketing Jesus, why not put that $100 million towards the things that Jesus perhaps teaches that that money should go towards? Feeding the poor, housing people, things like that. So, you know, fair enough. Those that are on the political and religious right also have some problems with this campaign. Uh, they claim that the theology focuses more on the humanity of Jesus and not as much on the divinity of Jesus. Uh, it also appears to promote a more social gospel, right? That salvation is about... God's healing the land and healing broken hearts as opposed to, you know, saving us and getting us to heaven. So, and listen, all this is fair game. Uh, anybody or anything or any campaign that's going to be, you know, publicly facing is going to have some critics and, and that's just the way it is. Now, I particularly like the commercials and I think they're timely because we are in America, which is filled with political and religious division. 
our own community is filled with religious and political division. And I think it's good and healthy to have a conversation around, well, who is Jesus really? And are we reflecting Jesus well? As followers of Jesus, as a church, as the, as the broader community of faith, as the Christian religion, are we fully or at least trying to fully express who Jesus really was in the world? Or have, has religion become something different? So this campaign is all about a dialogue around one purpose, and that is rebranding Jesus. Rebranding Jesus. Now, how do those two words sit with you? Rebranding Jesus. For some of you, it, it won't sit right. You know, like, well, what do you mean rebranding Jesus? I mean, that sounds kind of interesting. And it kind of begs the question, does Jesus need rebranding? And some might say, well, no, Jesus doesn't need rebranding. He's the, he's the son of God. He's the unchanging Lord. He's, he's in the unchanging word of God. And he doesn't need human beings kind of manipulating his brand, right? And I get that perspective. For other people, we might say, well, actually, he, he does need to be rebranded because the Christian church, much of the Christian church, seems to be, you know, living their lives and having priorities that don't seem to be aligned with Jesus, and so there needs to be a correction, and corrections have happened over time. And you might have heard of the Reformation in the 16th century, a big attempt at a correction, right? And, and there have been other things, other awakenings and other revivals that have tried to correct maybe something that goes wrong in the Christian church, trying to realign it with the heart of Jesus. This is, in many respects, the subject of our time. Not just Jesus in particular, but religion, and the place that religion has in society. Because the reality, religion has a black eye in our society, largely because of what religious people and what religious institutions do with their religion. Not focusing it on others and helping humanity and helping mankind, but taking our faith to help us and empower us so that we are right, right, and we are exalted, and we have the privilege that we want. So it's very historically disturbing when we take our, our self-centered human nature then use the name of God for our own purposes, and that happens all the time in every religion. It has happened in the Christian religion several times, I mean hundreds of times over the 2,000-year history in every country that it has touched. And I do believe it is time for a reevaluation of Christianity in America here and now. I'll be honest with you. Our local community is kind of a hotbed of this discussion. This community is, has had this sort of faith integrating with politics and all the public vitriol that comes along with that and the public, public division that comes along with that. We are experiencing that like right here and right now. It's a bit of an epicenter. So this is a very, very timely discussion. Does Jesus need rebranding? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. We're gonna talk about this over the next four or five weeks. Does Jesus need rebranding? Before we answer that question, I wanna back up a little bit and talk about what Jesus actually came to do because I'm gonna tell you a sentence you've never heard in your life, I promise you. I believe Jesus actually came to rebrand God. Jesus actually came to rebrand God. I mean, let's think about this. At the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago, he was born into the, na the nation of Israel which uh, had attempted theocracy in their past. So they have a law that came from God. This is in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible. 
this law was their law of the land. God was the, the, the top. God had given his 10 commandments and God said to the people, you live according to these 10 commandments and I will bless you militarily and economically. If you fail to live according to these commandments, you will not be blessed militarily and economically. And that's your Old Testament. That's, that's the old covenant. God made a conditional covenant with the nation of Israel. You obey this law, in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, you'll be prosperous. If you don't, you won't. That's the story of the Old Testament. And so as a result, the people who lived according to that law lived largely in fear because they were surrounded by armies and surrounded by enemies. And God says, listen, you obey the law, I'm gonna prosper you. You will have military success and you will have economic success. And there were times in their history, read your Old Testament, where they had success and times where they were conquered and times where they were oppressed, times where they were invaded. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting history in the Old Testament. All of it is based on fear. Am I obeying God enough? Am I righteous enough? Israel, are we obeying? Are we righteous? Israel's kings, are you obeying? Are you righteous? And everybody is living in this kind of conditional environment. I wanna be blessed by God, but am I doing enough for him? It's a culture of fear, religious fear. Here comes Jesus. And he says, all this needs to be rebranded. Jesus came to rebrand God. That's what it says in John chapter one, verse 17. The law, first five books of, of, of the Bible, the Ten Commandments and the surrounding commandments, the law was given through who? Moses. But, and here's the rebranding, Jesus, full of grace with true notions of God, made him known. It is Jesus who made God known, not known, not Moses. That, this passage is so full of content. I could preach this for six hours. You ready? He's like, no, I'm out. Goodbye. This passage is so powerful. The law in the Bible, the Ten Commandments, all the surrounding commandments came through Moses. That needed to be rebranded. So Jesus comes in full of what? Grace with true notions of God really made God known. You want to know God? You don't go to the Old Testament law. You go to Jesus. That's exactly what this passage says. That's exactly the point of the coming of Jesus, to rebrand God, to get our heads squared away, right? To... to to change our minds about God, to, to no longer think of him about being this distant, ominous judge who's ready to condemn us for every little act of disobedience, that he's gonna curse us in this life or condemn us in the life to come because he's this almighty, holy, distant God. Jesus says, no, I came to rebrand this whole thing. Let me show you what Jesus came to establish about God, that God is love, that God is forgiving, that God is gracious, that God is kind, that God is welcoming, that God is for us that God is a friend, that God is family, that God is compassionate, and that God empathizes with us. That's the rebranding of God that came through Jesus. And so what happened? Jesus creates this community of love and forgiveness and grace and kindness, a welcoming community that's a friend and family and compassionate and empathizing in the world around them. And so this early church was born and it wasn't too long before that congealed into another religious institution and then we go right back to the old. God is a fearful judge and here's the right way to believe and the right way to live and the right things you have to do and the right way to worship and the right commandments to obey. We go back to the same old thing. And so every once in a while, we have to rebrand what Jesus already rebranded and get back to the center. To get back to the center, which is Jesus. The teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus and get back to that. That means stripping away kind of the religious stuff that we pile on stripping away the political stuff that we pile on and get back to the simplicity of following Jesus.
the simplicity of following Jesus. So does the reputation of Jesus need to be restored? I like that word better than rebranded. Does the reputation of Jesus need to be restored? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. Because here's the reality. The Christian religion in America is in free fall. Free fall. A couple little stats to brighten your day. Church approval has dropped from 60% to 36%. Just people who generally think the church is a good thing. Church membership dropped from 70% to 47%. All this is in the last 20 years. Occasional church attendance dropped from 50% to 32%. A, a, a later study found out that most of those people were lying, and the reality is about 20% of people occasionally go to church. Only 38% of Americans think religion has a positive impact on society, which means America is saying, we're pretty well done. We're pretty well done with kind of organized religion and the power grabbing of organized religion and the money grabbing of organized religion, the harm that organized religion does through their judgment and through their condemnation, we're pretty well done. We're kind of packing it up. And whole segments of Christianity are in steep decline, steep decline. And so it is time for us as a church community, it's time for us as, the, as, a, as a faith community, not just here at one church, but kind of a national dialogue around well, who is it that we're following? And what was his priorities? If the central figure of Christianity is Jesus, what did he teach? Let's teach it. What did he do? Let's do it. It's really that simple. And anything else that's kind of packed on, we've got to have the courage to say, I don't know if we should keep doing this. Let's follow Jesus well. Here's an article in The Guardian just two weeks ago. Churches are closing in rapid numbers in the U.S., researchers say, as congregations dwindle across the country and, and as a younger generation of Americans abandon Christianity altogether. Particularly the younger generations, and I'm going to say about 40 and, and under. I'd like to say the younger generation is 53 and under, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's just say 40 and under, pretty well statistically over church. So for those of you who are 40 and under and you're here, uh, there's a lot of you. We've got an incredibly multi-generational church, a lot of young people, a lot of new young families. To me, that warms my heart because there's something going on in the younger gen generations that says, you know what, this old way of projecting Christianity and the old way of judgment and the old way of arrogance, the old way of, of condemning others, uh, some of the old theology really has been packed on because some of the stuff that you've believed isn't even taught by Jesus. And, and so what are we doing? The younger generations are asking some serious questions. They're good questions that we all need to ask. Questions like this, do we really have to be so judgmental? Do we really have to threaten people with eternal condemnation? Do we really have to think we're right about everything? Do we really need to tell other people what to think or do? Do we really need to be this exclusive? Do we really need to come across as this arrogant? Do we really have to make faith political? Do we really have to be this divisive? I mean, have you asked those questions yourself about the nature of religion, particularly the nature of Christianity? A lot of you are nodding your heads. The nation, honestly, is nodding their heads. Like, there's gotta be a different expression here. Because I'll tell you, Jesus is a very popular figure, but his people ain't, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. They're not. People ran to Jesus. When he was here on earth, they ran to Jesus. Look, listen to Mark chapter three, verse eight and nine. Vast numbers of people came to Jesus. So he instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd wouldn't crush him. I mean, 
hundreds, in some instances in the Bible, thousands of people crushing around Jesus. They want to hear him preach and they want to see what he does. And he said, I need a boat so I can get out there and, and kind of preach from the lake, which is a good sound system, right? But get, he's going to be crushed. People are flocking to Jesus. And then after his resurrection, Jesus puts together his church, the church. People flocked to that, to that first church, flocked to it. Acts 2, 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. People were flocking to Jesus and people were flocking to that early church because they loved each other. They opened the door. They were, they were a diverse community. They were focusing on loving each other, showing mercy to people that, that were in need. People flocked to Jesus and flocked to the first church but they're running away from church now. I mean like running away, like it's on fire. What's wrong isn't with Jesus. What's wrong is in what religion does to tweak Jesus for its religious benefit, which is usually about power or money or influence. And there's a lot of other things I won't even talk about. But how about we get back to the basics? of following Jesus, teach what he taught, do what he did. How about we can focus on being a, a Jesus-centered community of faith, grace-based, welcoming, humanitarian, and fun and full of life, right? I think that's what's gonna cause people to run to Jesus again, maybe even through his church. If we can have this, this Reformation experience that says, what are we doing wrong? Where has, where has religion kind of grabbed its claws into, into, into Christianity and the Christian community? And where can we see those claws released so that we can get back to the simplicity of following Jesus? Because here's the reality. The reputation of Jesus is largely built by us. How's that for pressure? The reputation of Jesus is largely built by us. And Jesus even said that. In John chapter 17, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers. You talk about pressure. Here it is. May my followers, which is now us, experience such unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus says, no pressure, but the world's only gonna know about this whole thing if you're united and loving. The reputation of Jesus is built by us. And Jesus says, if you're united with each other and loving each other and serving each other and welcoming each other, this message of God's love is going to sweep the world. But by implication, if we are not united with each other, if we're not loving, if we're not generously serving each other and, and looking out for each other, then the reputation of Jesus is gonna tank. And I think that's what's happened in our lifetime. Now, um, this might be a lot of pressure, you know, that we're responsible for building the reputation of Jesus, but. We can understand this from another angle. <clears throat> you have a last name, right? You have a last name. Good for you. It's a great last name. Um, how you live your life impacts the reputation of, of your last name, right? My last name is Treadway. How I live my life has some impact on the Treadway reputation. There's not too many of us. I think I know of four, right? There's not too many of us. So how I live my life is a reputation of the Treadway name. How I live my life here in Temecula is going to be talked about for thousands and thousands of years. Oh, maybe not. But how I live my life is gonna impact the Treadway name. When we become Christians, whose name are we taking on? Christ. We're taking on the name of Christ. And so how we live our lives shapes how Jesus Christ is perceived in the world. And I know that sounds kind of heavy, but it's really not about perfection. 
I, I'm not a perfect treadway. I'm not a perfect Christian. But that's sort of the point. Being a Christian means acknowledging in humility we're not perfect and that we need forgiveness and we need the love of God and we receive the love of God through Jesus. So really being a Christian doesn't mean perfection of doctrine, perfection of morals, perfection of religious you know, piety. It really means I'm a humble person who, who needs the love of God, who needs the grace of God, and I wanna be loving and gracious to my neighbor. That's essentially the basics of Christianity. If we just made it that simple, how much better not only would the reputation of Jesus be or the reputation of the church, but how much better would the world be if we just lived with this perspective that God loves me because I see that love in Jesus. God has forgiven me because I've seen that in the message of Jesus. God has a vision for, for my life, which is to be gracious and kind and loving my neighbor. And if we do that societally, watch this whole place become more like heaven. Doesn't that sound like something fantastic that we could all sign up for? And then let's gather together and help each other out. How do we know Jesus more and know the love of Christ more? And how can we love our neighbor better individually? And how can we collect our, our time and our resources and really bless the world around us, particularly those who are poor and sick and marginalized? What, a, what an amazing world that would be. That's the world Jesus envisioned. And so God came into this world through Jesus. God came to us in humility God came to us in love. God came to us also struggling through an imperfect world. This is Jesus. Who God is is reflected by how Jesus came. And Jesus came among us. Jesus came as the least among us, poor and rejected, a peasant. That's why these commercials are so poignant. He came through a teen mom and all of the struggle that came along with that, right? And some of us know what that's like. Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus came as the expression of God and the expression of God is kind and empathetic and humble. Jesus knows what we've gone through. Jesus felt the humiliation of being raised in poverty. Some of you do as well. Jesus felt the powerlessness of being oppressed. Some of you do as well. Jesus felt the sorrow of losing a loved one. Some of you do as well. Jesus felt the despair of feeling you don't belong. Jesus felt the loneliness of suffering by himself. Jesus felt the betrayal of a close friend. Jesus felt the fear of a terrible suffering that was to come. Jesus felt the anguish of being rejected by his own family. Jesus felt the injustice of being unfairly accused. Jesus felt the torment of, his, of excruciating pain at the crucifixion, and Jesus felt the closing in of death itself. There is nothing you have felt or will ever feel in your life that Jesus himself hasn't felt because he gets us. He's done it all. He's been through it all. Hebrews 4, Jesus understands our weakness because he faced the same struggles we do yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Who is Jesus? The full expression of God who came in humility, the full expression of God who came as one who suffered intensely as we suffer at times. And he came to know what we go through and he came to know us in a very personal way. And yes, this was 2,000 years ago and so he, he knew his people like face to face, flesh to flesh. But then he says, I'm leaving my crucifixion and resurrection, but I'm gonna send my spirit and we have the spirit of Christ in us. 
And so we can have a relationship with God when we think about God. That's a spirit-to-spirit relationship. When we do music and worship and some of us sing and some of us are up here with worship, that's a relationship spirit-to-spirit with God through the Spirit of Christ. When we pray, when we meditate, when we take a walk and are in awe of nature and our Creator, all of that stuff is a spirit-to-spirit relationship with Jesus Christ because He cares, because He gets us, right? He gets us. 